Welcome to the audio podcast for Beit Abba, the Messianic Jewish ministry at the Father's House. We exist to proclaim the gospel to the Jewish people and to connect Christians to Israel and the Jewish roots of our faith. The subtitle for this all around the throne is, is look up and then look around. And for some of us, that means looking right to our friends and family for sustenance, for friendship, for community, for where we can be deployed as helpers, as love manifested. For some of us, also it means having a global call or a global view that we, we didn't ask for but was given. And some of you have that, where you cannot get away from what's going on around you politically and internationally, etc. So it's really a both and. This burning bush is a picture of the fire of God that does not quench, never quenches, an eternal fire that draws us up and into the power and the life of God, and then because it's not consumed, it goes out and touches everyone around us, as we are not consumed by it either. So I would say, look up and then look around. I like uh, the idea, and I... Uh Uh-oh, this is not the one that Jesus had. It's obvious. Hello. I could do it all by memory if I have to. Isaiah 66, I actually recommend that you just go read the entire chapter. It is all about this vertical power of God and the, the, the heavenly throne that he is, that he manifests in. And it's interesting that, you know, you've heard us say over and over again that the, the uh, Yerushalayim, the Hebrew word for Jerusalem, is a plural word. The im at the end is how we make plural out of singular words. Well, that gives us an idea that, in fact, there is going to be a kingdom that is based in the earth, that is Jerusalem on the earth, and there is going to be a new heaven and a new earth that descends from heaven as well. There is a Jerusalem above and a Jerusalem below that is coming. But here's how God says it. Heaven is my throne and the earth is, my footstool of, is the footstool of my feet. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord, or what place is there for my rest? When we conceptualize of the throne... Everybody has an idea of what that looks like. You know, the, when you're running from God and you think he's mad at you, you think of a, a guy with a white beard with a hammer, right? And he's on the throne. He's waiting to get you because you did it again, right? Then what happens when you, be, when you become born of his spirit is you are overwhelmed with the power of love that God is and the, the, the intensity of love. I was thinking about... I turned to Catherine and I said, should I do the mourner's cottage because I just buried my best friend yesterday? And should I bring that into the service and would that be a buzzkill and bum everybody out? So I was so grateful that Sarah brought two loaves and fish. She brought the loaves and the fish of breaking open the reality of being able to grieve and be able to be real with one another, be able to find one another in community, be able to share in one another's pains and sorrows as well as our joys and victories. Amen? Amen. Otherwise, what are we doing? What are we doing? And it all comes back to that burning bush, that presence of God which draws us in and we realize that there is now no condemnation in Christ Jesus, in Messiah Yeshua, and so from that we can then relate to one another in the joys and in the sorrows of life. So I better 
parenthetically, I'm dedicating this service, although it's all about Jesus. I'm dedicating it to my friend, Captain Carl Vincent Mosbach, Esquire, who was a Coast Guard commander, captain the XO of Alameda and then the XO of Hamilton. He was an attorney. He was a worship leader. And he traveled the world trying to help schools learn how to educate children according to the Bible. So that believing that what Abraham Lincoln said, that the philosophy of the schoolroom will become the philosophy of the government in the next generation. Yes. He was a mensch. Everybody say mensch. Yes. You speak Yiddish. He was a stand-up guy. And we raised our sons together, his four sons and my two sons. And uh, I had to do his memorial yesterday. And I thought, I don't really want to go preach tonight. I do, but I don't. You know? Well, thanks. I'm actually glad I'm here. But uh, he is someone who is now around the throne. I don't know what that looks like right now. It might look like this. You know, this is one of my conceptions, where there's so much light and noise and power and strength and love that you cannot, you can't stand to minister. It's only the anti-gravity force of God that holds you up so that you can worship and then go about your business because I don't think we're going to be little chubby guys with arrows sitting on clouds. At least I'm not planning on it. I think we're going to have divine purpose and intention and work to do and governments to run and things to do that are eternal in nature and are part of the character of God. But it's all going to come from that burning bush, from the presence of the Lord. So when someone this close to you dies, when you know he's still alive because he lived his life in the light of eternity, it kind of thins the veil between heaven and earth for you. I had the weirdest thing. I, I am not an idolater. I am not a necromancer. I don't worship angels, and I don't look for dead people to talk to. But I had the strangest sense all day yesterday of the nearness of my friend. I can't explain it. I'm not trying to explain it. But I knew that he was still alive. I knew that he was still alive. And if you're here tonight and you have not been born of the Spirit, you have not given your life to Yeshua Messiah, to Jesus Christ, as we say in America, if you have not given your life to him, today's the day, today's the day to do it. Because he is continuing to live. My friend is living, and I will see him again. I was able to sit, do this memorial and sneak in some famous lines from movies underground. I'll see you again, but not yet. <laughs> some of you know that. Moses was so overwhelmed by this sight that he dropped his sandals and he was, he was uh, just overwhelmed as God revealed himself. God revealed himself as this eternal light, this eternal throne-held light. Here's the earthly version, a burning bush on the ground in the desert, and yet it's the same as that heavenly view of the light of God. And in this season, I believe that God is, as I said, thinning the veil between the two. And he's going to be giving us greater measures of supernatural experiences, including angelic visitations, including strange visions and dreams. My younger son came running into the room the other night and said, I believe I just had a visitation from God. He's not looking for God right now, but God's looking for him. You got people in your life that are not looking for God. Go ahead. God is looking for them. Go ahead and name them. Turn to somebody and say, God's looking for so-and-so, and name that person. Name that person that needs the Lord. 
and God is looking for them. That naming of that person is like bringing the Shema before the Lord, the way Michelle led us. We bring that and we think about, we lean, we lean into those that need to hear. And the people in our lives that need to hear, now is their season. This is the season of the open door. I just want to go over those, that, the verse again because it's amazing. Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro. This is the passage that's being read around the world this weekend. The priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning but not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight. Why the bush is not burned? When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses, Stephen. Stephen, name that person again, twice, whoever that is. And then he said, Hineni. Try that, Hineni, here I am. Then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father. Now watch this. He says it more than once. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Now here's the good news. Moses, Moshe Rabbeinu, the Moses our rabbi, the greatest figure in Jewish history other than 60 or 70 other ones that we love and revere, <laughs> who said, there is one coming greater than me in Deuteronomy 18, speaking of Yeshua. He will be like me, hear him. He told that to my people. Some of us hear, some of us don't, but we will hear Shema. We will hear, and we will say Baruch Haba, welcome. But he, he, he was, he's the most revered, and he was afraid to look at God. How so that now for us, we can look at the burning bush, look to the throne, come into the presence of the Lord without any fear at all, without any of the, the kind of fear that is that fearful fear, only the reverence and the joy and the satisfaction and the love of the Lord. That's a pretty good, pretty good covenant. Now, Moses is bringing us out on this 11-day trip that takes 40 years. You know, some people say it's because there was a man driving. You won't ask for directions, you know. I don't know. <laughs> I think it may be something... A lesson for us about human nature. I have a friend in Israel who was a hero in the, in the uh, 73 war. He was a believer in Yeshua, and he was the only believer in his company. He was the leader of a platoon, a group of guys, and they were getting shelled in the Sinai Desert, and he heard a voice say, get up and go there. Follow this voice. Watch out for that light. And he followed this and led his troops to safety. In the midst of it, he got shot in his head. He had, the, something went off, wounded him. You know, if you ever had a head wound, ever fallen off a bike or a horse or any of that stuff, I have more than once. Down a flight of stairs, raise your hand. Ah, just kidding. <laughs> you don't have to tell that testimony tonight. But when you get a head wound, I still have a hole in my head from a horse. When you get a head wound, they bleed like crazy. The nurses can back me up on this. And it really looked serious. He thought he was dying. But he heard this voice say, go here, go here, go there. And every time he moved, a shell went off where he had been. And his guys were with him, and all of them were spared. After the battle, 
The rabbi came from Jerusalem because he had a he had a platoon full of orthodox guys, ultra orthodox Jews, and they went. He went to the orthodox guys and he said, "What happened here? How did you survive this?" And they said to him, "Don't ask us, ask him." <laughs> the season that we're in right now is an increase of the thinning of the veil between heaven and earth, and God is going to send you to people, and the testimony about you is going to be, don't ask us, ask them. You are a walking solution. So Moses drags us through this, coming to us to to believe lessons for the rest of us, and we make this 38-year, 40-year trip. We wind up at this time of uh, worship in the desert. But in order to do that, we had to pass through a bloodstained door. We had to go through a door that was the blood of the lamb placed on the doorposts and the lintels in order for us to remain alive. Again, if you're here tonight and you have not applied the sinless blood of the lamb of God to your heart, do not leave here without it. It's important because the door is a picture of the letter Chet, which is a picture of new things. It was new life for the Israelites, 18, 57, 78. This year is a year of new things for you as well. But God is so gracious that when we're wandering around and when we're trying to obey and not obey and doing what we do, I don't know, you don't do that, but the Jews, we did that. Two steps forward, one step back, sideways, you know, every which way. That's how you wander. Looks like a dance, only more painful. But God is so gracious that in the midst of giving Moses the picture of the pattern of the tabernacle to have a place for him in the wilderness, he also allowed there to be a column of cloud by day and a column of fire by night. So that always the presence of God was with the people. Say presence of God. As you move into this year, God has a new dimension of his presence that he wants you to be aware of. As you are deployed into small groups or at your work or in your family or wherever God deploys you, the presence of God is going to go with you in a new way. I love the pictures of the tabernacle in the wilderness. And how at at night the the cloud of fire would be there. You know, the presence of God in the midst of this company of millions of people. And the same thing by day, the presence of the Lord, right? Warmth and power and presence at night, cool and covering and safety by day. God has warmth and power and presence for you at night and cool and covering and safety for you by day as we come into his presence, as we cultivate his presence. Now, God has such a great sense of humor that when he divided up the tribes in this passage about names, who's with who and how many of each tribe there are, when he divided up the tribes and placed them around the tabernacle, they happened to form a picture. And this is the picture they form. It's a cross. If you count the numbers of the names of the people and their families and you lay them out according to the pattern of the tribes, this is what it looks like. How often and how many ways and how many ways today is God showing us who he is in ways that are shocking, surprising, or mysterious and then he reveals himself in new ways? Do you have those places in your life where you you look back and you go, oh my gosh, that was you? Could I know it at the time next time? Because that would be really helpful. Right? Close the gap. It's something we use in counseling. When I'm dealing with people, teaching them how to manage their anger, I'm still working on it. But when you, 
learn to manage your anger, right? You, the idea is to stop being, having a cold shoulder for a week, stop being silent for three days, quit keeping it for three hours, stop doing this for an hour, don't be such a jerk for, for 30 minutes. Try to fix it in the mix. Learn how to move from the pre- future into the present and fix it as soon as possible, right? A lot of it depends on how much of value you have for harmony. My wife and I are both harmony bent. We're oriented in that way. So we are uncomfortable when there's something between us and we go to get reconciled right away. Well, that's how God wants us to be with him. I sin. God, please forgive me. Wash me by your blood. Bring me back, Lord. And man, surgical, beautiful, laser-like, loving surgery to my heart and renewing of my spirit. Incredible. Well, that's type of of interaction between the supernatural and the life that we live is pictured in this wilderness journey. And as we think about being all around the throne, I was looking for, I I can't really relate to the, the angels around the throne like that, although I did during the worship service, I thought, when that, when that, you were trying to, I think you were carrying it on the upbeat... And it's full, this room is full of people that clap on one and three and one and a half and three and a half. And I thought, that's what heaven's going to be like. <laughs> this is incredible. I mean, I wish it was like a Southside Chicago Blues Club where people know how to do that, but it isn't. And so every tongue and tribe, including white folks who can't clap, will be in heaven. <laughs> it was a ruckus. I don't know if you heard it. Or I'm just overly attuned to that. But it was just like, wow, this is... Heavenly, yikes. <laughs> it's a joyful noise and you made it. <laughs> God understands it. It's a good thing he doesn't keep it to the rabbi to judge it, you know, because I couldn't. But in this tabernacle in the wilderness, in this fiery bush, in this presence of God, in this Jesus be the center of it all, is this overflow of life and love and fire that comes to us and then we are agents of that around the world. So if you walk through the tabernacle, it kind of gives you a picture of all around the throne. Now, I should say that, I'll be careful about this, but it did happen, so I'll tell you. I was in a very renewal-oriented Pentecostal meeting many, many years ago. Some of you, just hang on. And I fell to the floor because of the weight and the power of God, the chavod, the glory of the Lord. And while I was on the floor, I saw every time the musicians would strike a chord, I felt like I was seeing into that picture, something of that picture, this power and glory. And every time a chord was struck, there would be waves of love that came from this throne room of God. And it was so tangible, it was so real, that it was unsettling to me, it was undoing. I'm, I'm crying and laughing and just enjoying God. Try this at home, by the way. It's a really good thing. But I was overwhelmed by the presence and the love of God. And then I saw a drop of a ruby to a glass table. It looked like a glass table to me, a ruby. Every time a song, a chord was hit, waves of love coming from a ruby hitting a glass table a ruby hitting a glass table and waves of love coming out. And then the Lord spoke to me and he said, those aren't rubies, that's my blood. And it's hitting the mercy seat. And because of what I did, 
that wave of love goes out to everyone who wants it, touches the universe. Well, it's hard to have, you can't drum up those things, you can't make them happen. But there are pictures in the journey of the Jewish people that are lessons for us. It's not just our sin that are lessons for you. I mean, hey, we're in the book. You know, this is your Bible full of Jewish dirty laundry. I get that. But the lessons of the love of God, the lessons of what things went right, the lessons of his mercy, the lessons of the blood of the lamb, all of that is in there for us. So, so the tabernacle looks like this. You come into the tabernacle, be the high priest that would go in to the brazen altar, Mizbah HaOlah, the brazen altar where the sacrifice would be consumed. And it's a picture for us of, of if we're going to come into this thinly veiled relationship where we're face to face with the Lord, then we, we present our bodies. This is Romans 12. Yes, it's, a, it's, a, it's a, a, a picture of a brazen altar, a picture of a sacrificial place. But for us, we receive what Apostle Paul said. I exhort you, therefore, brothers, in view of God's mercies, to offer yourselves a sacrifice, living, set apart for God, This will please him. It's the logical temple of worship for you. In other words, don't let yourselves be conformed to the standards of olam hazeh. Say olam hazeh. But be conformed. Instead, keep letting yourself be transformed by the renewing of your minds so that you'll know what God wants and you will agree that what he wants is good, satisfying, and you will be able to succeed. Olam hazeh, this world. Olam haba. The world to come. This leaning into the bush, leaning into the altar, leaning into the throne room of God is bringing Olam Haba, the world to come, into this world. It's an, it's an actual change. As the high priest goes through the tabernacle, he comes to the laver, the laver, the kior. I love the laver because it was made out of brass and, 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 and um, uh, bronze, but it was made from the mirrors that they brought out of Egypt. I like this. You take that which is designed to keep you looking hipstery, or in my case, not decrepit, and you take the mirrors, the, the, the selfie-oriented part of life, and you hammer them into a bowl that carries water, fresh water. And when you look into the water, it's, it's made from the Egyptian spoil. It's donated by the women and it contains in it the ability to see clearly. When you wash off the blood from the sacrifice, you see clearly who you are. It's like looking into the word. You look into the word and you see who you are. Now, if your mindset is negative, if you're psychologically wounded, or you have not been renewed in the way you view the word and yourself, then every time you look in the Bible, you'll see death and destruction. What did Isaiah said, Megor Misabib, maybe that was Jeremiah. Terror all around. Eek, a ghost, a mouse. Ah. But if you look into the word with the heart of the Lord and with you drawing on the throne room of God, you're going to see encouragement and a future and a hope. You're going to see things that uh, are beyond what you could dr- dream up yourself. That's why the word says, let us approach the holiest place with a sincere heart in the full assurance that comes from trusting with our hearts sprinkled from a bad conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. This is in the entrance way. As you come into the holy place, as you get closer in, you get to, there are three items in the holy place of God, in the tabernacle, in the wilderness. 
The first one is the menorah. It's made of gold. It's like that, only gold. All one, one piece of gold. And Lydics 24 says it this way. Adonai said to Moshe, order the people of Israel to bring you pure oil from crushed olives for the light to keep lamps burning always. Outside the curtain of the testimony in the tent of meeting, Aharon, Aaron, is to arrange for the light to be kept burning always from evening until morning before Adonai. Keep your light on. Keep your light burning. That's part of what we're to do in relationships, part of what we're to do in small groups, part of what we're to do in church meetings is to remind each other to keep our light on. Keep, keep burning for God. Don't give up. Don't draw back. Don't, don't think that you've arrived because we have not. At least I have not. I'm assuming you have not. Keep exhorting one another as we see the day of the Lord approaching. Yeshua said it this way in John 8, 12, about that burning bush, about that center of the tabernacle, about who he is on the throne. Yeshua spoke to them again and said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light which gives life. Light. So we have the water of the word. We have the, we have the giving of ourselves as a sacrifice. God, the sacrifice of praise, the sacrifice of avudah, of holy work. Whatever your work is, According to Hebraic thinking, whatever work you have, it is holy. Don't think that the guy in the pulpit has a holier gig than you. Whatever you're doing can be done as unto the Lord and bring glory to him. And that's the Hebrew way of looking at it. It's a very Greek way of thinking that there's a, there's a, a clergy and a laity. But Hebraic is like this. That's why we have the Chavarah, and that's why we're always in danger of arguing because the rabbis sit around and they argue. Don't try this at the Havarah, by the way. Just, just listen. But truly, the interaction around the word is a natural and normal thing, right? Bible study where you get to ask questions or you get to learn more. And that's part of this, this growing into carrying this light. We present ourselves. We wash ourselves with the water of the word. We receive the light of the Lord. We believe the light of the Lord. It's hard to believe sometimes. You look at yourself, if you look at yourself with your own mind, you may think, not me, not here, not now, not ever. But that's not God's thought. That's based in your family of origin, your particular sin pattern before you got saved, and the particular struggles you have now, but it is not God's testimony over you. In that holy place, there is a table of showbread, lechem hapanim. And it's, a, it's divided into, well, this is how, how the instructions came to Moses. You're to take fine flour, use it to bake 12 loaves, one gallon per loaf, arrange them in two rows, six in a row, on the pure table before Adonai. Put frankincense with each row to be made an offering by fire to Adonai in place of the bread as a reminder of it. Regularly, every Shabbat, He's to arrange them before Adonai. They are, from the pe- they are from the people of Israel as a covenant forever. Twelve loaves, one for each tribe. The loaves were pierced, not unlike the piercing that's in the, today's matzah. The commercial matzah that's used around the world, in the Western world especially, is pierced. Like, like Isaiah 53, he was pierced for us. Yeshua said in John 6, 35, I am the bread of life. 
The frankincense is sweet smelling. It has to do with this connection with God and with each other as we operate as a loaf together. Having been in the heavenlies, having come together as a loaf, we have a sweet smelling savor to the Lord. The bread in the tabernacle was changed every week. It's never stale. The mercies of the Lord are new every morning. Every day God has a word for you and me. Every day there's something new. We, we should never be comfortable working off of yesterday's bread, yesterday's life, yesterday's anointing, yesterday's breakthrough. There's something fresh for us every single day. And there's a renewal in this. There's a renewal in it. This is, I'll say it again. Yeshua answered in John 6.35 when they were asking, who are you? I am the bread which is life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever trusts in me will never be thirsty. That's the Lord. Then in that same area, in the holy place, before the holy of holies, is Mizbah HaKetoret. Mizbah HaKetoret, the altar of incense. The instructions come like this. You're to make an altar on which to burn incense, make it of acacia wood. It is to be 18 inches square and three feet high. 18 inches square and three feet high. Its horns are to be of one piece with it, overlay it with pure gold. Its top all around its side and its horns and put around it a molding of gold. This is a picture of our worship. We, we experienced it tonight. We experienced it tonight when, when Nathan and the team were leading us. The tangible presence of God, the powerful presence of God, the transforming presence of God. We're the throne room. We're reaching to the throne and the throne's reaching to us. And it's a pleasure to the Lord. Psalm 141 says it like this, let my prayer be like incense set before you, my uplifted hands like the evening sacrifice. 18 inches high, 33 feet wide, 36 inches. 18, 2018, 18 is the number for life. The Hebrew equivalent for the number 18 is the Hebrew word life. This altar of incense, this worship picture is equivocated with the word for life itself. That's why when Sarah brought that exhortation, my heart was so stirred because I knew that this was in my notes, but more importantly, she was demonstrating and living out by the Holy Spirit that if we will give ourselves to worship in that way, we'll worship through the grief, we'll worship through the pain, we'll worship through the setback, we'll worship through the loss. And that's a word for us all. And it's three feet wide. It's three times 18. And I love that because God, life, 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 Father, Son, Holy Spirit. God's always hiding, mysteriously tucking into everything that the Hebrews do is tucked in the, re the revelation of Shema Yisrael, Adonai Elohim, Adonai Echad. That word Echad, the Lord is one, is a three-part word. And God's do giving us a picture of the mystery of the triune nature of God right there in the incense. Right there on the altar of incense is a revelation of the triune nature of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, hidden. And then finally, there's this curtain, the most mysterious part. I have a friend who was involved, one of the main teachers at the, the Brownsville revival that happened in Pensacola, and... Uh, the, this debate, surprised, there's debate among the rabbis and among the sages over the centuries about how does the priest get through this 18-inch curtain? 
There's a veil between the holy place and the holy of holies. How does he get through? Is there a zipper? Does he crawl under it? Because there's that myth that pastors always talk about, the tinkling bells, and you drag the guy out because he got struck dead by God. It's all Christian Michigas craziness. Sorry. Never happens. It's not real. But it's a great story. Hey, preaches. But there's all, you know, is there a zipper? Did he go under? You know, do you go left to the right? Some people say he goes left because it's west, goes right because it's east, and they have all the meaning. It goes, I don't know how the priest got through that veil. But I'll tell you what my friend said. He does his whole series on the tabernacle. I haven't heard it in like 20 years at least. But he actually said that when the high priest, do not make a doctrine out of this and do not tell Pastor Dave I said this, <laughs> that when the high priest was holding the incense before the Lord, he was translated into the Holy of Holies. I don't know. But I do know that when I hear you worship, and when we worship together, there's some translating going on because you're being elevated into a place that you did not have a minute ago. You feel that? Yeah. Me too. You go into the veil, through the veil, and you come to the mercy seat. And, and that's the beauty of the cross is that when Yeshua, when he went to the cross, that veil was torn, right, from top to bottom as a picture of the opening for everyone. That's why tonight when we worship the Lord, we touch him and he touches us in that way. The mercy seat is on the other side of the curtain, kaporet, the covering. So we get the Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. It's the place where inside the Ten Commandments are held and the, the, a pot of manna that did not go bad and the rod, Aaron's rod, that budded supernatural picture, all of it supernatural, about the presence of God. It's made of acacia wood, covered in gold. It's the only piece that made it into Solomon's temple. And it's actually, when you come with us to Israel, which we are going in March, we're going to go again in fall. By the way, two spots just opened up for the March tour. So if you've been wanting to come with us, you can now go. You need to talk to Mark Bunger. Mark, raise your hand. There's Mark Bunger. Uh, we have two spots that open. The, whole, the tour's full, but two, two places just came open for this March. But you'll come with us to Shiloh, up in the, what's so-called the West Bank, which is actually the heartland of Israel, where all of the Bible took place. And you'll go there, and that's where the Ark of the Covenant was for 369 years. We started going there over 10 years ago, 12 years ago. It was just a weed patch. And I brought a busload of pastors to the weed patch, and when we got closer to where the Ark had been as they were excavating it, these pastors fell on their faces because the anointing of the Lord is still there. That Ark, which we know is either under the Temple Mount in Ethiopia or in a warehouse in Washington, D.C. <laughs> That's up to God to decide. I don't, I don't get into those discussions with anybody. If people really love that stuff, I'm okay. But the mercy seat has two seraphim looking down. What are they looking at? Why would they look down? We're looking up at God. What are they looking at? They're looking at the blood. They're in awe. The angels of God are in awe of the blood of Jesus that saves mankind. It's the two seraphim, mercy and truth, together, just as Jesus said, they would touch. There's no place in there for the priest to sit down. The only thing you can do is stand in awe 
of the Lord. There's no rest there for in that way for the flesh. It's about being transformed by the presence and the power of God. You are around the throne when you're near the ark. And the promise from Exodus 25, 22 is that when the high priest would do that, when they would do that, that God will meet with them. God will, I will meet with you. This is how it is for us today. Brothers, sisters, we have confidence to use the way into the holiest place by the blood of Yeshua. He inaugurated for us as a new and living way through the parochet, the, the, the veil, by means of his flesh. And that's how we wind up having unity that matters. Something happens when you are born of his spirit, when you enter into the throne of God. We've been going around the world. We, we just got back from China. We just heard from Iran. We are, we're, we're connecting with people that are doing crazy, wild things, and they want to interact with us about this story of Israel and how it relates to their nations. They see their nations lining up to fulfill biblical prophecy. Have you been seeing what's going on in Iran? Okay, I'll tell you. What's going on in Iran is a repeat of the 2009 revolution that our president withstood. Our President Obama withstood the 2009 revolution, which was young people in the streets crying for freedom. Freedom from the mullahs, freedom from Islam, freedom from all of that sharia, from all of that stuff that was put on them. And they were out there begging. And we abandoned them. Amen. We abandoned them that time. I was so compelled at the time. I wrote a song. You can get one out there. I wrote a song. I didn't sing it. I wrote a song that some friends of mine produced just a little video, and it went all through Iran, underground. I gave it to Hormoz Sharia, the Billy Graham of Iran. I said, hey, I only have 10 of these. He said, don't worry, we'll steal it. We'll copy it. We'll give it. Don't worry. It's okay. We're Persians. Don't worry about it. That's what the Jews say. It's what the Arabs say. We all have the same sense of humor because we're from the same neighborhood, I guess. But here's the thing. It's called the bride behind the veil. And I didn't know nine years ago, whenever that was, that this revolution that was squashed by the Muslim Brotherhood, and by the forces of evil in Iran was not going away, but was going to resurge. And now there's a new sheriff in town. And so now the people of Iran are saying every night by satellite TV, what must we do to be saved? And they're saying we don't want Islam. We want freedom. We want love. We want opportunity. We want to come into the 21st century. We don't want to live in the 7th century. Hallelujah. That's Iran, and we are in touch with them and working with them. The Back to Jerusalem movement in China is preaching to them. The Jerusalem, the Chinese just asked us to come to Thailand and minister to their missionaries. They're missionaries who go into the most difficult places in the world, usually with a one-way ticket. Three of them were just murdered in Pakistan. They go to preach the gospel to those who will never hear through that 1040 window that you've heard about where the unreached people groups are. And they're asking little Mordechai and Esther to come and to teach about Israel, about what happens at the finish line in Jerusalem, and to minister to them, because of our counseling background, to minister to them. These people have PTSD. They're in a strange culture, with a strange language, with the gospel, and with very little help and support around them. And so they're going to gather them all in a neutral place. We can't meet with them in China, but they can bring them to a neutral place. They just asked us to come in April and minister to their missionaries. <laughs> All around the throne, God's moving in China. He's moving in Iran. 
We are connected now with the Voice of Hope radio. They're asking us to do radio with them. They have a 50,000-watt tower in Galilee that preaches the gospel in Arabic to every Muslim country every night. They have the full support of Israel. How did they get there? Because in the 1980s, when their dad was, had a radio tower in Lebanon, it was bombed by the terrorists. The IDF came in and they killed the terrorists. They kept one alive and they brought him to George Otis Sr., shackled with a bag over his head. And they said, we're just going to leave him with you. You do what you want. Now, this was a man of God, preacher. And he said, first of all, don't leave him with me without staying. Second of all, uh, keep his hands shackled, but take the bag off of his head. And he said, sir, you murdered my people. You destroyed my radio station and you broke my heart but I forgive you, and here's why. Told him the gospel story, gave him a Bible in Arabic. I don't know if he ever saw him again, I don't think so. But fast forward 20-something years, when his daughter and son-in-law are ready to build a tower in Galilee to preach the gospel, they send the IDF to check out, make sure that the frequencies don't interrupt the IDF work around the area. And the guy who comes says, I, I'll be your liaison with the government. Don't worry, I got everything covered. And they, they're looking at him, what? He says, 1985, whatever year it was, I was the commander in Lebanon. And I was there when your dad did that thing with that terrorist. And I said to my guys, these Christians will be out of here in a week. They're going to turn tail and run. No way they're going to stay in the face of this. And I see you here trying to preach a message of love to the Muslims. I'll do whatever you need. I was that guy. You can't make that up. You can't make that up, folks. There's, there's every tongue and tribe is being prepared to be all around the throne. It's happening in our day. It's happening in our day. And here's the, the, the last word about it. How good, how pleasant it is for the brothers to dwell together in harmony. It's like fragrant oil on the head that runs down over the beard, over the beard of Aaron, flows down on the collar of his robe. It's like the dew of Hermon that settles on the mountains of Zion, for it's there that God ordained the blessing of everlasting life. For more information about Beit Abba, log on to our website at tfh.org slash Beit Abba or call our office at 707-455-7790.